We, we have been, uh, as Billy mentioned, we're celebrating our 15th anniversary today. Glad you're here to be a part of that. Um, as we've been building towards this, we've been working through really some of the foundational, formational passages that shaped the vision and mission of this church. Uh, and so we're, we're working still from Acts 2. Uh, I think the screen says 42. Well, it doesn't say anything yet, but it will say 42 through 47. We're actually going to read the same context. We've 36 through 47. That will help us see how the gospel proclamation and the gospel work work together. God uses them together, empowering them by his Holy Spirit, proclaimed by his people to bring transformation that leads to whole new lives moving forward. Um, and, and in that, in that uh, vein, I guess, let me just hit the points that we've been looking at the last two weeks, just to, to, for those that haven't been here, to hear them, for, the, to, for those that have been here, to be reminded of them, uh, that we've been building out of this passage that we're going to look at now for this third this third week. For the Christian, the gospel literally changes everything. We are who we are because of the gospel. We have this whole new identity. We have been radically transformed and changed, not only by a word, though the gospel is a message that we are to proclaim. It is a message of good news that we're to proclaim, but the gospel is a good work that God is doing, right? He is doing a powerful work to redeem and restore a people to himself through the sacrificial, uh, the sinless life, the sacrificial death, and the victorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. It is both a word and a work. It's a word we proclaim about a powerful work that God is doing to change and transform lives, to change and transform us, to make us his people, to give us a whole new identity, to give us a whole new uh, future, to, to, to bring us together as a whole new people, to give us new values, new desires, new, new devotions in life. And as we looked in last week, those new devotions fall out, those new commitments fall out and result in us gathering together. We gather because of the gospel. We gather because God has done his gospel work in us and we gather together as his people because of that to study his word, to study the gospel word, to participate together and partake together in the gospel work, to, to um, uh, the gospel mission, if you will, to, to come together so that, so that his glory shines beyond us. Because of the gospel, we gather in big and small groups to, to remember the gospel sacrifice, to remind each other of who Jesus is and what he's done. And we commemorate that every week as we gather by the observance of communion. I know for a lot of traditions, that's not normal. In fact, we've had some people that are like, what? why do we do that every week? Because every week we're together, we're going to preach the word and we're going to stop and take time to remember in the action that Jesus said, remember me. Every time you do this, remember me. So we remember the gospel sacrifice and, and we pray together to the God of the gospel. That, that, that signifies and, 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 and gives us the, the, the things that we do while we're together. And I didn't say it explicitly like this last week. You can always preach a sermon better the week after than the week of. Uh, I didn't say it exactly like this, but, but a big part of why we gather is because God is gathering us. He is doing this work. He has made us his people. He has transformed us and brought us together and made us his people. He is gathering us in as his people, right, to the glory of his name. And so because of the gospel, we gather. We, we, we gather because of the gospel. Acts 2, 36 through 30, or 47, had really been the focal passages that we've been seeing this build out of and, and, and understand this from. But this really is the message of the Bible from beginning to end. His good work 
made known in the good news that's, that's proclaimed from beginning to end of, his, of the Bible. And so you can see this repeatedly throughout. But for our time today, for our purposes today, we're sticking with this passage we've been studying from. And we're going to read it, we're going to pray, and we're going to see again today what the Lord has for us. So would you follow along as I read, beginning in verse 36 of Acts chapter 2. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, uh, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day. There were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Let's continue to speak a passage that's becoming more and more familiar, that still has something to say. I pray that you would attune our hearts that we would hear your spirit, that we would be moved upon by your spirit, transformed and sanctified and made more to conform to the image of Christ, that we would look like him. And as a result, that we would do the things that he did. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Jesus' last words to his followers, just before he ascended, were words to send them, to tell them that they were going to be going people, that they were going to get ready to go. Wait on the Holy Spirit. But when the Spirit comes, you will go. The passage we're studying now, now for the third week, is a result of of a coming Holy Spirit, a a God who sent, a God who goes, a God who is going, right? And, and, And they're hearing this because these people have gone in response to the Holy Spirit. But the going didn't stop when the 3,000 people came to believe. By the time we get to the end of this passage, God is adding to their number daily because of their going. Because they are a going people. Which brings us really to the point of this sermon, the the main point that we're going to add to and build on, but it's going to be referred to over and over and over. Because of the gospel, we go. It seems so simple. When you look at the scriptures, it seems so simple. (laughs) But here we are, needing to be reminded. It's good to be reminded. Because there's lots of going we can go do, but because of the gospel, we go for a particular purposeful reason. As important as the gathering of God's people is, God isn't gathering us from the world simply so that we can gather, right? He's not just gathering us in so we can sit in these rooms and be together. It's vital, it's necessary, it's important. I don't want to diminish it in any way. There's great things that God does among his people as they gather 
But he gathers us and he sends us. This is part of what he's been doing in and through the gospel from the beginning of the church. We can't even really get to the gathering of the people. When we read verses 42 through 47, we can't even get to the gathering of those people. They were gathering in the temple daily. They were gathering in one another's homes. We can't even get to that gathering without someone going. Now, I've already referred to it. I've already touched on it. But, but, but we can see this, uh, this flow from the beginning of the book of Acts. Let's just work our way backwards from it. So in verse 47, numbers added daily because of the going of these people. They're going and living life together. They are getting up, going to temple. They are getting up, going to one another's homes. They are getting up, going to one another, meeting needs. They are, they are living the life that the gospel is producing in them. They are getting up and getting busy living to the glory of God. Not concerned for themselves, not concerned for, for what people think, but concerned for their brothers and sisters in front of them. And getting up and going to one another. And as a result, God is using that to show his glory in this city that's very religious. And, and, and he is adding to their number daily. We see that in verse 47. In verse 42, we, we only get to the 3,000 devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching because of what happens in verses 2 through, uh, well, chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 41. Because his people went. So if you read the first of, of Acts chapter 2, the, the, very, the very beginning of what's happening that day, his people are there gathered, waiting, obeying Jesus' command, wait for the Holy Spirit. But it just happens to be the day that the Holy Spirit falls and comes down in power, or a sound of rushing wind that causes this, this concern and this curiosity in the people that are surrounding the, this building, this upper room that they're gathered in. And they begin to proclaim God's greatness. They begin to proclaim the mighty works of God. And they begin to, to say these things. And as the people, as the crowd begins to gather, they're from all over the area. And they're hearing in their own language. And people are like, what is happening? What's going on? So they come up with the excuse that oh, they must be drunk. They've been drinking too early in the day. I can't believe these people are drinking. They're already hitting the wine. I can't imagine. What in the world are they thinking? And Peter steps out from among them and says, no, this isn't drunkenness. This is the power of the Holy Spirit fulfilling the promises that, that have been prophesied. And then he preaches that gospel message. It's in the going, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that people are sent, and the proclamation of the message that people are drawn in. This gathering, this new 3,000 people is the result of the 120 going. And we see that, trace it back even further into Acts chapter 1. At the end of Acts chapter 1, we find them gathering to pray, waiting. Look, uh, raising up leaders, waiting. And we trace it all the way back to, this, to the statement that Jesus made, these final words that I just referenced a minute ago, these final words that he gave them before he ascended into heaven. And Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit's going to give you power. And then you've got a message to be, be made known everywhere. From here, from right where you are, to Judea, to Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. God's people have always been expected to be a going people. Because the gospel is a moving message. 
It is a message filled with Holy Spirit power that transforms people, that changes them from the inside out. This is God's work that we're making known that he then uses to transform hearts and turn attention to his son, Jesus Christ. But we could chase it back even further. It didn't initiate, it didn't start in Acts 1.8. We could chase it all the way back, all the way back to even the very beginning. Do you remember one of the first commands? We've been studying as a church. We've been studying Alpha and Omega, God from beginning to end. And we've looked at the creation. You remember one of the first commands that he gave to Adam and Eve? Not the command not to eat the fruit. Not the command just to exercise in dominion. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Don't stay here in the garden. It's a beautiful place. Have babies. Fill the earth. There was always supposed to be, always expected to be a a, a movement of of people to fill the earth, to go across the whole globe. And we we see how that works out, right? So, so, So he gives that same command to Noah because people didn't fill the earth with the image of God and the glory of God. They, they filled the earth with their sin. And so he, he comes to Noah, builds an ark, commands the ark to be built, comes to Noah after the flood. Noah and his family come out of the ark and God gives them that same command. Go, be, multiply, fill the earth. Get going. Don't stay right here. Fill the whole earth. Put, your, put, put people all over the globe. You follow that just a little bit further and you get to Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel. It's a great story for all kinds of things, but, but people who had been commanded to go and fill the earth decided they didn't want to go and fill the earth. They wanted to gather. And they wanted to build a city. They wanted to build a tower and make a name for themselves. You know, if you know the story, God says, oh, that's not what I told you to do. He comes down, and in judgment, he, this, this is what happens. Genesis eleven eight. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. God has always been about making, making sure that his image is represented and reflected over all the earth, even by sinful man. We follow this through the Old Testament into the lives of, of Israel. They were to be a light to the world, right? To, to demonstrate the holiness of God and show the glory of God. We, we could follow it into the life of Jesus, right? The, the, very, the very moment that he's born as an infant, he's a going Savior. He's a Savior who has come who's got a, a mission ahead of him. He's going to live a sinless life so that he can die a sacrificial death, so that he can raise in victory. There's a going he's got to do. We can see it begin to unfold in, the, in these early chapters of Acts, and we can see it unfold across the book of Acts. So here's this church, 3,000-ish people, 3,120 maybe, if we add those two numbers together from Acts 1 and Acts 2. You flip over to Acts 4, and you begin to see that the church has those numbers. God is adding to their number daily, and, and now there's... There's, uh, in Acts 4, I think it's about verse 4, it speaks about that there's 5,000 men, not even counting the men and w- or, or the women and children, there's 5,000 men to be accounted for in the church at this point. So we know it's growing, it's spreading out. And then the testimony in Acts 4, the church is, it's almost identical to the testimony in Acts 2. And then we come to Acts 6. And some division and some discrepancy and some, some struggle, strife, potential injustice against some of the widows in the church, maybe perceived injustice against some of the widows in the church. And persecution begins to develop. Some of the favor that they were enjoying in the early days begins to be resisted because, hey, that's a growing number. Suddenly Jerusalem is looking different. 
There's these people that come into the temple every day, and the number is growing, and they're leaving Judaism for this following Jesus. So these Jewish leaders are getting nervous, and persecution begins to, to bubble to the point that we come to Acts chapter 7, and we see this persecution break out. Stephen is stoned. He preaches a gospel message again to be made known in, in, to everyone who would listen. And then by the time we get into Acts chapter 8, persecution is full-blown and people are being scattered. Acts 8, 1 through 4. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. So not all were scattered, but many were scattered. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entered house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now, I don't think this is the same judgment that's happening at Babel. Don't misunderstand. <laughs> but by his providential care and providential purpose, God is even using the persecution of the church to make his no word known because his people are to be a going people. <clears throat> if we're only about ever being together, then we're missing one of the greatest blessings of the gospel. We get to participate in making the glory of God known in a broken, sinful, fallen world. This is his plan for his church. Because of the gospel, we go. And it's interesting, if you follow from Acts 8 all the way through to the end, you see the movement. Just as Jesus said the movement was to happen from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. In fact, just... Let's trace that out just a little further. Why are we sitting here gathered in this room talking about this thing today? Because for 2,000 years, people have been going. You're not here because you figured it out. You're not here because suddenly, finally, we got something right in the world. And, and, and Springfield, Missouri, we finally figured out. You're the product of 2,000 years of God's people going. Praise the Lord. Because of the gospel, we go. Because of the gospel, we, we, we go in worship to lead others to worship. And, and, and here's what we got to see. Here's what, so so, so we, could, we, we go do all kinds of things, right? We go to the store, we go to, the, we go to work, we go to home, we go all kinds of places to go. All kind of going, going on. But what are we doing while we're going? What is the purpose of our going? That's the question. We, we could see it right here in this passage that we've read from. It, Peter, standing out, isn't... He's defending them. They're not drunk. This is the fulfillment of God's work. Who does that point glory to? God. He preaches a gospel message about Jesus Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. God has made both Lord and Christ. Who's, who's glorified in that? Who's propped up in that? Who's exalted in that? Not Peter. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Who gets credit for what you're seeing, the, the ability for them to speak in these languages? The Holy Spirit. God gets credit for that. This is a movement. This is a going that brings glory to God. We see it as it unfolds in the church as they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking bread, fellowship, uh, uh, prayers. What do we see happen? As they devote themselves to, to one another and to the to this gathering in and hearing and obeying and applying the teaching of the apostles, as they gather to pray together, awe comes upon every soul. And sometimes I think, I, I, I can't prove this, but, well, I think I can. 
But that's an argument. We'll, we'll have that debate after if you want. But I, I'm convinced that part of the reason we don't think about going is because we don't have the awe of God because we've neglected the gathering. See, they're not, they're not completely independent of one another. These people are gathering in. And awe comes upon every one of them. And the, and the apostles, they're out there apostling. They're like teaching more. People are listening. They're doing these mighty works. And they're not getting credit for it. It's just increasing the awe. It's just increasing the, the magnificence and the, and the beauty and the glory of who God is. Look at what he's doing. And they begin to move to one another even more intentionally, more purposefully. It just increases the going. And the whole thing is so visible. It's so public. It's so evident to the city around them. They gain favor with all the people. At least at first, Jerusalem loved them. Look at what's going on. I want to be a part of that. Because look at God being glorified. They're going in worship. But again, it doesn't start in verse 42. You can see this traced back. Acts chapter 2, verse 11, as the, as the day starts and as the Holy Spirit falls, it says this, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. The Holy Spirit falls and they begin proclaiming and professing not their own glory, not their own purposes, the mighty works of God in the moment of... We get this so wrong sometimes. Sometimes we, get, we, we look at uh, Pentecost or even Pentecostal movements and we, we look for the experience and we long for the desire. That is not what it's about. It is about God being glorified in this world. The message isn't about us. It's about Him and what He's doing and it draws our attention to Him, exalting Him and magnifying Him even further. Because of the gospel, we go in worship to see God glorified so that others can see his glory and join us in worship. This is God's mission in the world. This is what he's doing and has been doing again since the very beginning. This is what Jesus said when he met a Samaritan woman on the, on the, on the road. He, he goes into Samaria on his way into to, uh, Galilee. He goes through Samaria. He stops at a well. He meets this woman and he enters into a gospel conversation and he says to her in the middle of this conversation, John 4, 23, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And a lot of times when we look at that, we, we stop right there and we think, what does that mean? Like, I've got to understand what that means. And I think there's reason to understand that. We're not going to exposit that today. What I want you to see is what comes next. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is on the mission of finding and producing worship. This is his work. As we go in worship, as we do this, this, it's his mission, it's his gospel work. When he redeems us, he restores us to a right worship. When he redeems us, he restores us so that we can worship him rightly, so that we can live to his glory. We can see this even across the book of Romans. Beautiful exposition of the gospel. Beautiful exposition of what God has done. One of the, one of the most detailed and clearest explanations of, of God's work of the gospel to redeem and restore a people to himself. 
It starts in Romans 1 with the bad news. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They didn't honor Him or give thanks to Him. We could say it, they didn't worship Him. They didn't glorify Him. They didn't discern His glory. They didn't respond to His glory. They didn't even consider His glory. And as a result, their foolish hearts were darkened. They were already foolish. They'd already exchanged the truth for a lie. God's wrath is, is revealed because of that. At the, at the heart of all of our sin struggles, at the heart of all of our temptations, and is, is us not honoring or giving thanks. It's a worship problem. As he, as he works through that and builds that point out further, he comes to Romans chapter 3, and he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, some people interpret this to say that that means that people are sinning and not reflecting and representing the image well. And some people interpret that to say that, that what they're doing is not worshiping rightly. So they're falling short of the glory. They're giving the glory of God to something else. They're assigning it to something else. And, and I'm of the mind, and in the camp, there's a third camp that says it's probably a little bit of both because they're so intrinsically woven together. Because we don't re represent and reflect the image of God, we give that glory to other things. That you, you get one from the other, and the other causes more of the first. That there's a way in which they work together. Because we are fallen and not bearing out the image of God appropriately, we worship the wrong things. And because we worship the wrong things, we further don't represent and reflect the image of God. There's a worship issue at play. There's a worship problem, an idolatry issue. But in chapter 3, Paul turns a corner. He's, he's set up the bad news from 1 into 3, and then he turns a corner and begins to show us the good news of God's work through his son, Jesus Christ. And he, and he tells us that we can be justified by faith. And he breaks that out, builds it out even further into chapter 4, works through chapter 5 and 6. And, the, and, and in 6, he reminds us that we're not supposed to just sin, that grace may abound, that, that just, because, just because there is grace doesn't give us permission to sin and all these things. So he works that out even further. And he comes to Romans chapter 12, where he really begins to break out the application of all that he's been teaching in the very first instruction, I guess. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, Present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. God's mission in this world through the work of the gospel is not just to save you. He does save you. Praise the Lord. We got heaven to look forward to forever. But as he redeems you from, his, from your sins, he restores you so that you can rightly and honorably live to his glory. So that you can worship rightly. And then Paul further breaks this out in, in other letters, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you're eating the meat, drinking the wine, do everything you do. Do it all to the glory of God. Colossians 3, 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God, uh, God the Father through him. Do it in an act of worship. So don't just go to worship, right? Like this morning you got up and you came to, you went to, you've gone to worship. We don't just go to worship. We go in worship because that's what God's doing. We go in worship. It's been the vision and mission of our church since we started 15 years ago. I wrote, those, I wrote the vision statement for this church probably 16 years ago, 15 or 16 years ago, that because of the gospel we go 
right? We, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm saying that wrong. I've got, I've got the point of the sermon in my mind. I've got to get that up. Because of the gospel, we worship and lead others to worship the one true God. At different points, we've said it different ways. Because of the gospel, we worship and lead others to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, things like that. But it's always been about this worship. And there's a lot of different ways people have said that over the years. We want to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples so that we continue to see the progression. And I appreciate that. I understand what the intent is. Because they're seeking to raise up disciples, people who follow and learn and study from and, and follow the example of Jesus Christ. But in a city that's so given to the study of the Bible and consuming Christian things, I wanted us to see that we're a people who in and through, those, in and through that consumption, God's producing a particular thing, his worship. Disciples aren't just students who sit in the classroom. Disciples aren't just people who obey commands. P Disciples are people who worship the God who saved them. So we worship. As, 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 as we preach through the book of Acts, as we work through the, not the book of Acts, sorry, as, as I work through the book of Ephesians, I, I, I adopted a tagline for my own life, and I hope that you would seek to emulate alongside me, that, that Paul lays it out so clearly in the first three chapters, that this is what God has done. There's not one command in the first three chapters of this just statement of fact, God has done this, God has done this, God has done this, God has done this. And he comes to the last half, and because God has done this, you do this. Because God has done this, you do this. Because God has done this, you do this. And over and over, it's a call to live for the fame of Jesus. And so I've adopted this tagline, for Jesus' fame. You see it at the end of my emails. You see it as I post things on Realm, for Jesus' fame. I'd long my, I, I long for my life not to leave a legacy of Seth and the things that he did, but that people would know I am with Jesus. I want him glorified. I want him to be raised up. I want him to be exhausted, exalted. Certainly I want your encouragement. Certainly I need to be reminded that God is doing a work through me. But if it leads to me being exalted and propped up as some great person or some great figure, that's not what it's about. I want people to worship Jesus because they've known me. And I want people to worship Jesus because they know you and that they've been with us. We have brothers and sisters across the globe, across, around the world, who, who think the same way. Uh, I, I mentioned a couple times the, the group out of Colorado, the Calvary family of churches that we're exploring partnership with and trying to learn from, that, that there's so many ways in which this group of people who we don't even, we had never even met, but the gospel doing such a, a common work among them, their vision is that God has graciously saved us and he is sending us to make Jesus non-ignorable in Denver and to the ends of the earth. So easy to ignore Jesus today. But they're living and going and striving to make Jesus non-ignorable, to make sure that he is exalted. And it's a little awkward to say a few times, but that awkwardness then catches, it sticks. It's, yeah. So that because I'm here, because we're here, Jesus can no longer be ignored. Jesus is evident. Jesus is exalted. Jesus is proclaimed. Jesus is seen in our actions. So because of the gospel, we go in worship to, to, to lead others to worship. So it's not about where we go first and foremost. It's about who we go to. And that's what the rest of this passage breaks out. Because of the gospel, we go first and foremost to one another, to lead one another to worship. I love this about what we see happen here. So Peter, 
and the, and, and the others, they're waiting in Acts chapter 1. They're waiting. They've, they've heard Jesus say the Holy Spirit's coming. When he comes, you'll get power. You'll go then. But they don't ignore each other in that time of waiting. They go to the upper room. They gather and they pray. Hey, hey, we're, we're missing a leader today. We, we need leadership. Let's, let, let's bring in. Let's, let's seek for God to, to fill Judas's role. So they, 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 they pray to God. They seek God's wisdom and, 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 and they pray. And, and Mattathias is raised up as, as Judas's replacement. And on the day that the Holy Spirit falls, they're gathered together. Praying. Looking for God to work among them. So it's not an ignoring of one another. But because of the gospel, they're together and they're waiting and they're serving and loving one another. And then when the gospel is proclaimed and the, empowerment and the Holy Spirit empowers them and moves, and those 3,000 people come to believe, what happens? They're immediately sent to the one another's. They're immediately sent to each other to further express the gospel, to further make it visible. You're in need. Jesus meets you in that need, both physical and spiritual. Leaders were being raised up. Leaders were being empowered. And people were, were taking care of one another. 59 times the New Testament commands us to, to take care of one another. We go to be together. Yes, we go to, to gospel one another, to lead one another, to see the glory of God so that we can worship together. So we love one another. As Jesus has loved us, we've been commanded to love one another. That takes a lot of going. You think about this. A lot of times we go together to be loved. But we've been commanded to go to love. A radically different idea. Not, don't, don't go to see what you can get. Go to see what you can bestow. Go to see how you can bless. We, we go to serve. But Jesus washed their feet and then he said, Hey, this has been done for you. Now you do this for one another. The lowliest of tasks you do for one another. And it doesn't mean that we got to get together and wash one another's feet. He's not being literal. It's an example, right? There's a metaphor there. Serve selflessly, humbly. We go to serve one another like we've been served by Jesus. We go to forgive one another. Who hasn't been sinned by somebody in this room? Who hasn't been sinned by somebody in, in, inside the body of Christ that's not necessarily a member of this church, but you've been sinned by, by another Christian? Paul says, forgive one another as you've been forgiven in, by God in Jesus Christ. Wow, that's big. That takes a lot of going. Like, I gotta, I gotta purposely pursue this person. I gotta purposely approach this person. I gotta purposely act in their benefit and, and blessing, even though they've hurt me so badly. I've gotta go in prayer to the Lord to find the strength to do that. All to the glory of his name. We go to one another. I read from 1 Peter last week. I thought it would be fitting this week. 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace. It's the beauty of the gathering. And we come together, we get to be stewards of God's grace, and we get to just grace one another. We just get to put grace on one another. God's grace we get to experience in tangible ways through our time together. But he breaks that out a little further. He says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by strength that God supplies, in order, listen, here's the reason, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. It's not about us getting a good name. It's not about just getting our needs met. It's about God being glorified among his people. So we get up and go. There's a story that's told of, 
uh, Spurgeon, every time he was talk, every time anybody talked to him about the success of his preaching ministry and the and the growth of the church, it was a massive church. He was he was out of the UK, you know, had a church of like five thousand in attendance or something like that. Was, I, can't, I can't remember the numbers, but it was massive. But people would come to him and ask him about the success, and he would say, "Let's go take a look at the boiler room." And they're like boiler room, what's that? But you go to the boiler room and show that there was people gathered there praying. And if the story's right, I mean, sometimes stories get embellished and told in crazy ways, but if the story's right, people were going on Sunday mornings before the service and beginning to pray. And even during the service, rather than coming up and listening to, to the man who's become known as the Prince of Preachers, they would stay in that boiler room and bypass the sermon so that they could pray for the power and the fruit of the sermon to be borne out. And he'd say, that's the reason for the success. You know how different that is than for us climbing and clamoring and seeking to be in here to the exp- and deny anything that goes outside this room? Uh, how amazing would it be if we cared so much about the going of the gospel that we sought to, to, to pray in the midst of the sermon and give up our time. I'll listen to it later. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to people about it. I'll get the fruit from it but I'm going to go to church to be a going person to see the gospel go forward. Imagine how different that would be. And I'm so thankful that our church, that we value this time so much that people would rather be in here than do other things. I appreciate the, the intent of that. But we cannot deny the going of the gospel for the gathering around the gospel. It's only half of it. We need it all. Because God is intending to do it all. So you just think about some of the ways that we do that. Right now there's people serving so that people can be in here gathered around the gospel by watching the youngest among us. We've got lots of kids in here. We're not afraid to have kids in service with us, right? But the youngest among us, imagine, sorry, I'm a poet and I didn't know it. The youngest of us, I'll say it that way, because it feels weird, the youngest of us, imagine if every baby and every toddler and every preschooler were in this room with us. It'd be crazy. And to be quite honest, because of the ratio, not only would we likely be outnumbered today, but I don't know if we'd have enough seats. So for the sake of the gospel, for the people that sit in this room to be able to hear the gospel, we have people that serve every week. The worship team comes on Tuesday nights, partly to practice, partly to be prepared. One of the things we're challenging Tristan in every week as he prepares and grows in this this. Uh, deacon role, and, and, and we have put him out as a deacon candidate, one of the things we're constantly challenging him on is it's not about what you can do. It's about what God will do through you. Trust him in his gospel work. So gather the band. Get them together. T- have time of practice. Have time of prayer together, preparing people to hear the gospel. As you choose songs, choose songs that point people to Jesus, that remind us that we have our hope in him. Each week as I prepare and think about what are we going to look at? How is the word speaking? I want, I want you to be filled up with the knowledge of the scripture, but not just for the knowing of the scripture. But so that you're inspired and moved and transformed so that you want to get up and go tell other people about this God who has done so many amazing things and they're recorded in the scripture. Because of the gospel, we go to lead one another to worship this God of the gospel. But because of the gospel, we, we, we go to lead our neighbors to worship. The immediate result of this passage is not a far-reaching, 
a far-reaching, a, a, a far-reaching response. Let me say it like that. The immediate result happens right there in Jerusalem. So the, the, the Holy Spirit falls and a large number of people come together and they begin to profess and proclaim the mighty works of God. Peter steps out, preaches the gospel, directs their attention. And these people are like, what happened? What did we do? What do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. And as a result, the immediate result happens right there in Jerusalem. They found favor with all the people because they weren't just going in some hidden, scared fashion. They were going in such a way that their neighbors could see it. So that their neighbors could discern it. So that those that were closest to them. So I, I, I have something I tell to our neighbors in this neighborhood. Everywhere Jesus went, he made it better. Just simply by the fact that he was there. And he did things for people that didn't belong to him. Right? That, that weren't immediately going to be ever saved. But he still did a work among them. Just because he was there, it was better. So I, I, I tell people in our neighborhood all the time. We, we strive to live in such a way that it's just better because we're here. So for a long time, we've had partnerships with the school next door that we've sought to be a blessing to them, not looking for anything back, but just simply be good to them. We've sought to invite the neighbors. The Neighborhood Association meets here all the time. They're constantly coming in and out of our building when we're not using it. I've developed really good friendships with the leadership there in that Neighborhood Association. We've sought to invite neighbors onto our property to do things, everything from Easter egg hunts to movie nights. Just simply to give them an opportunity to be close to the work that God is doing in us. So that they can see a people who have been transformed by the gospel. And again, referring to 1 Peter, I, I think this was part of the intent of what, what we were supposed to do. To, to go to lead our neighbors to worship. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11-12, through 12, he writes, Beloved, this is the church, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh, or passions of the flesh. So don't sin anymore. Right? So, so fight against that. These passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This will result. We go living in front of our neighbors in such a way that they see what God is doing among us. So that even if they reject his glory all the way up to the day Jesus returns, they will know without a doubt. Look at the glory of God. Look at what he's done because they've seen our good works. Because of the gospel, we go to lead our neighbors to worship. This, was, this, this, this is what the mission of the church immediately was. And we see it in Jesus' words. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, it starts close, it goes out from there, it spreads from, from there. That this was a movement that starts. And, and, and so we, we go across the street to our neighborhoods. We go across the street to, to those people who our community groups meet among. Every, it's since COVID, the first year of COVID, we still did it. I can't remember. But, but every year we've, we've gone, uh, most every year, we've gone as a community group in my neighborhood to, to sing Christmas carols. Most people today don't even know what to do with Christmas carols. Somebody knocks on the door and they open the door and somebody starts singing at them. Most people don't get that anymore. But there's still some that appreciate it. But every year, without fail, we did that. I was having conversations with my neighbors about the Bible study that's in their neighborhood every Wednesday, about the people that meet there, and about the church that they go to. It's, it's silly and kind of makes us feel silly maybe sometimes. I don't know. I, I didn't necessarily feel silly. Maybe others did. I don't know. But, 
But it's certainly out of, it's out of style. It's not something people do anymore. But we got to go to lead neighbors to worship, to see the glory of God so that they have an opportunity to worship. <clears throat> but we don't stop at our neighbors and our neighborhoods. We go to our work. We go to our store, the places we inhabit. We go to the parks and we go to all the places we go are an opportunity for us to, to live a life in such a way in worship so that others can see the glory of God and join to worship him. But it doesn't stop here. And that's one of the, one of the things I love about this church is that we, we've never been a huge church. We've never been a, a, a massive group. And we've seen God do some amazing things, not just in our neighborhoods, not just in our city, but around the world. Today, at the end of this service, we are going to commission a team that's going out to Montana. At, 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 in large part at, at their own cost, but you've supported and helped in a lot of ways. And there's people that still have money to pay. If you could help and get them to go there, that, that, that's amazing. But we don't stop at our neighbors. We, but because of the gospel, we go to lead the nations to worship. So we're going to Montana here next, next week. And in February, I'm leading a, a, a trip into West Africa. There's two, two pastors from other churches that we're seeking to d- develop and build the partnership so that there's a greater presence going and more people going to make the gospel known in a place that if it weren't for us going, nobody would be preaching the gospel. In May, I'm seeking to develop a team. I've already had a couple of people tell me they want to go in May. Uh, I've got some people I've got to talk to that, that I hope will go in May. Because of the gospel, we go to lead the nations to worship. Because we see Jesus and his message and his work worth telling. Because we see the power that God has wrought in our own lives with a desire to see it wrought in the lives of others so that they can know the glory of God and join us in worship. Because of the gospel, we go in worship to lead one another, our neighbors, and the nations to worship our Lord, because he is worthy of that worship. Will you pray with me?